it all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. So nice to see you again. Nice to see you. How's it going, uh, J.K.? It's going well. Uh, a little a little behind the scenes, a little BTS for our listeners. Uh, we usually okay. record in the late afternoon or evening. Today we are doing a special morning record. And oh, it's I'm wondering, rough on me. Yeah, I was going to say. It's rough. <laughs> I got to say, I, I still keep comics hours, even though stand-up comedy is not really happening through the pandemic. But I still, you know, I've been a comic for for like 15 years and so i'm just a late night person and so when you're like oh we're gonna start at 10 a.m i'm like oh man so i have my morning coffee yes i have mine as well cheers and it's at uh, cheers and it's rough it's rough it is it is well well helen godspeed to you thank you <laughs> thank all you of very our much listeners. i appreciate it <laughs> today on go fact yourself two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know facts they might not know and frankly facts they should know plus we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics and finally will declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guests. Helen, who are they? He is an actor known for his roles in Crash, Narcos Mexico, and the Ant-Man movies. She is a poet, fine artist, actor, and screenwriter. It's Michael Pena and Brie Pena. Hello, Michael and Brie. Ah. By the way, Helen, can I, can, I, can I say something? When you invited me on, uh, yes. I, I heard the intro and number, there's two things. Number one, you said the smartest people we know. So I'm like, Ugh, if I'm one of the smartest people you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> and secondly, make them look dumb. That's not what you told me. Yeah. You? yeah. <laughs> you're like, we, we make you yeah. look awesome. It's all about love. It's like the 60s, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was reeling you in, yeah. I was like, no, it's all it's all like we're all friends and we yeah. appreciate we we celebrate yeah. you and then we and then uh, now and that I've now caught that you, you put the dagger in me now that we're live <laughs> well let's get this out of the way the reason that you both are uh have the last name Pena it's because you're married to each other yay <laughs> congratulations how did, how did you two meet I have to know a friend introduced us a friend introduced us about 16 years ago and then after Ooh. a year of bugging her she finally went out with me <gasps> is that right what was the wow. uh Brie what finally did it for you I don't know we I saw him at this sort of I like how she says I don't know <laughs> no I know what it was it's still a mystery <laughs> she's <it>? like <laughs> honestly there was uh, this guy after me nonstop trying to date me and I just <gasps> wasn't into him he was just uh, like he even did the um say anything Thing. Really? No. Holding the boombox over his head? My, no! Yeah, hear, Are you serious? I hear the music blasting and I look out and it's in your eyes and it's something no. like maybe... He's standing with the boombox outside it's of your not window? Me. It's not me, so he don't give playing, it that much. He was playing it out, of, blasting it out of his car, but I just wasn't into him. And then I ran into Mike. There was a, a brunch... And we were we just ended up in conversation, and it was so effortless. Mm. And then the next day, I was talking to a friend, and I said, "You know, I, the reason I'm not into this guy, I, I want to have a conversation like that, like the conversation I had with Mike. It was so effortless." Mm. And then I thought, "Oh, I don't know. 
Why not? <laughs> so, Wait a minute. I could meet someone like Mike. I could meet Mike. I know Mike. <laughs> I've known him now. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of like, you know, when you read the breakdowns and I've had it where like somebody like Michael Pena and then I audition <laughs> and I don't get it. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, what does that mean? So I'm, I'm glad that I landed this role. Yeah. <laughs> so you were the Michael Pena type for Mrs. Pena. Yes. That's great. And uh, speaking yeah. of which, and it Brie, worked out this time. Brie, you were known professionally as Brie Schaefer and uh, you're, you've recently changed your name or you're in the process of that? It's, you know, <laughs> laziness. We're doing everything by the numbers. Yeah, that's how we see. But if, you, know, you, you want to make sure it's going to stick. Now, Michael, you were actually here here mainly because you actually got to work with Helen recently. What's she like to work with? Oh, dear. Kind of like how Bree said, she was really easy to talk to. And especially like, I don't know mo- for, about you guys, but for, for me, most sets, I always feel that pressure. And I think it I think it's good for me. Uh, but sometimes you want to calm it down, you know, especially mm. after the you shoot like a like a big part, which we did. But we got along, I think, right away. Yeah. And you were so easy to talk to. I mean, really, like and you were, you know, you were the star of the movie and the big name of the movie. And I know people were like excited that you were there and stuff. And you just set the tone of like really down to earth, really easygoing. You were like talking about the playoffs <laughs> Not to me, because right. I don't do sports. But <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I watched you talking about the playoffs to other people, and it was so cool. Like, it was just great. And then after we had shot together for like the final day, I was like, um, "So, will you be on my podcast?" <laughs> I promise. We'll no, make- you were cooler than that. You were cooler than that. You set it up great. And you're like, I do this great podcast. <laughs> you should really be in it. And I was like, oh, that, that would be an honor. <laughs> Yeah, he came home. He was talking about you, how smart and funny you are. Oh, thank yeah. you. I will say, Bree, the first question he asked when I asked him to do my podcast was like, oh, can I do it with my wife? I was like, yeah. Because oh, <laughs> we play games. That's that. all we do. We I play know, games. I know, but I'm not really, you know. No, but we, like, even at home, like, you know, with our kid, you know, we play a lot of games. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for playing our game. When did your child first start seeing your movies? I think the first one was Cesar Chavez, right? That's that's the first time he saw me on the big screen, mm-hmm. like the premiere. You know, he was standing up there the entire time, and they're like, "Why is he doing that? There's, why is he doing that to him?" And like, he's got he's a big-hearted kid. Mm-hmm. And instead of shutting him up, I was like, "Screw it, whatever he wants to do." <laughs> so, as a twelve-year-old, he must love the Ant Man movies. Yeah, he loves those. He loves Next Gen. He loves really loved Turbo. Um, Dora the Explorer, because I, for the most part, like in in my career, all I did was drama, mm-hmm. and that's all I wanted to do. And then it, it kind of shifts a little bit as soon as you have a kid mm. and you see them watching movies. Right, you want to do movies for them. I love that, and I love that you're you've done comedies and you're really funny. Like you did Chips and you did a couple of comedies. You were so funny, and I think it was unexpected for a lot of people because a lot of people do see you as a very dramatic actor, but you're very funny. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I I don't consider myself like a like a, a, a comic actor or anything like that. Like the way I started acting is I went to an uh, an open call. That was the summer before I went to business school. Wow. And mm-hmm. I didn't. I I never acted a day before in my life. But my best friend's mom says you should be an actor. I said, Why would you say that? Like someone who's going to business school. She says you're really good at imitating people. And I was like, uh, I think it's more involved than that, but I'll give it a shot. So there was an open call. <laughs> And I went and there was three paragraphs and I basically imitated my friends that I thought would say this kind of things in the way that they said it. Mm. But that's basically all I've done is imitate people in real life 
it's like imitating your mother. You kind of can guess and predict what she's mm. going to say. Oh yeah. And then that's when you get that's when you get the character. And so the Ant Man guy was a real person. You know, Crash. I that was my brother. Mm. Um, you know the 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 chips guy. I remember some some cops that we did ride alongs for um, for End of Watch, and even End of Watch is a hybrid of a couple of people. Mm. And so I, I mean, that's my basic style. So I mean, I'll just basically imitate somebody who I personally think is funny. Because mm. nine times out of ten, they just sound funny and think funny, and that's all I do. Did you ever give a cut to that friend's mom? She's like. <laughs> The best she thing. comes to every she, premiere. She's like she's, a, a grandmother to our kids. Oh yeah. wow, so, that's yeah. great! Yeah. I was gonna yeah. say she's like the best agent you've ever had. That lady. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. she's family. Well, speaking of family, I know you've gotten to do a lot of uh, great location shooting. You've shot in Fiji and Australia and England. You get to make them family trips. Is that something that Bree and your son get to uh, get involved in? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we go everywhere together, um, and. I, you know, really blessed to have Bree around and, and how patient, I mean, cause it can be, it can be a tall order when you're in like, I mean, England is beautiful. And, you know, even if you go for a week, like you can definitely stand it, but then for four months, like mm. that, that's a long time. Mm. Bree, what's been your favorite yeah. place that you've gotten to uh, hang out while Michael's on set? Uh, London is just, I, I love how mixed it is. Mm. The, the mixture of cultures I don't feel racial tension there. It's another country, so I think they they were able to figure their stuff out long ago. <laughs> yeah, and they're so they have the reputation for being so uptight, and maybe it's a certain type of maybe it's a certain class of English person. Mm-hmm. But I just I wasn't really experiencing that so much. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and we would eat at this burger place, and we'd see the same waiters over and over and then one waiter would be off and then come by and visit with their kid and then the waiters are hugging the guy who's just stopping by to visit they're all hugging each other and I'm like you guys just saw each other yesterday (laughs) so it just dispelled a lot of my notions about even though I'd been to England Mm -hmm. I just living there made me appreciate I don't know it's so nice you know instead of just vacationing someplace you really have a chance to immerse yourself in a culture when you're there for that long oh guys we love that we love that Guys, remember yeah. hugging? Remember hugging? <laughs> I know. Mm. Wow. If memory serves. Hand, even, even a handshake? Right. Oh. Oof. Oh, wow. Remember that? You're like a good, next oh. time you're going to feel the warmth of somebody's hand. Oh, a hearty hand clap. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? A pat on the back. Oh, high five. I grew up in a Latin neighborhood. I mean, Latin. So we're all, you know, even with the guys, we're always like, yes, rubbing elbows and shoulders or yeah, whatnot. Yeah, those awesome. days are over. Now it's like, those now it's like over. COVID hug. <laughs> I'm hoping it will come back. Yeah, I'm hoping it will come back. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, we're so grateful that you two have joined us today. Thank you so much, Michael Pena and Bree Pena. Now, we ask each of you to provide us a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Michael, you told us that you know a lot about Tiger Woods's golf coaches and their techniques, movie quotes from early Woody Allen films, and grunge music featured at Lollapalooza 1992. Whereas Bree... <laughs> very specific. I couldn't get through that with a straight face. It's so It's such a wonderful mix of very specific things. Uh, whereas Bree, you said you know a lot about the music and producing work of Prince from 
1979 to 1985, renovating old Dutch colonial houses and French bulldog behavior and the pros and cons of having one. Mm. Later on, yeah, we're going to... also very specific. Yes, also very specific, which we love on this show. <laughs> Later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, couch potato. First up, Michael with couch. Michael, they both can be comfortable places to eat a potato, but what's the difference between a couch and a sofa? A couch and a sofa. Oh, this is really interesting. I think I'm going to have to guess here. That's all right. I think a, a, a sofa is more upscale than a couch. Mm. That's all. That's what I got. That's what it. Okay. So maybe when you grew up, maybe you had a couch and then all of a sudden you get some movies. It upgraded into a sofa. You upgraded into a sofa. Congratulations. We're going sofa shopping. Excellent. All right. We've got Michael's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Bree, if you don't think he's got it exactly right, you can steal. What do you think? I feel like a sofa may be more petite. A sofa is more petite. Okay. Those yes. two those two things could both be true. Sometimes when you go upscale, you want to get petite. All right. Well, this segment is getting <laughs> lost between the cushions. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. It's all about arms and symmetry. A couch might have no arms, like a classic psychiatrist's couch. One arm, like a Victorian fainting couch, because apparently those Victorian women kept sliding off the end without an arm to grab onto. Or a big arm and a little arm. And it might have a back that is high on one end and low on the other. But a sofa always has two arms and is always symmetrical. The arms are the same size and the back is the same height from end to end. That's right. And as far as our game is going, so far, so good. Helen, how do they do in that uh, question? Uh, I don't think either of you got any points on that. No, but it was a very, was a very entertaining effort, though. No points there. Yeah. But up next is Bree. And Bree, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? It's from Augusta Supple of Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia? Sydney, Australia! We have listeners in Sydney, Australia. Woo! Woo! Yeah. I won't say good day, mate. <laughs> you just did. Oh, damn it. <laughs> listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Like Augusta Supple of Sydney, Australia did. Yes. Good on ya. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Helen, and thank you, Augusta. All right, Bree, for your turn in couch potato. Potato. They both might be things you can eat while sitting on the couch or sofa, but what is the difference between a sweet potato and a yam? A sweet potato and a yam. The yam is the light is lighter in color, mm -hmm. and the sweet potato has the more orangey color inside with the darker skin. Orangey color and darker skin. Uh, Michael, you were nodding as I was asking the question. You might have a chance to steal here if you don't think Bree's got it right. What do you think? No, I was not nodding. I also looked this up, and I couldn't find any real difference between the yam and the sweet potato fries. The only thing I know is that there's sweet potato fries. Mm -hmm. There's no, there, there's never any yam fries. <laughs> I do think that the, the uh, sweet potatoes are smaller. You think sweet potatoes are smaller? Okay. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Smaller and uh, obviously sweeter. Smaller and sweeter. Okay, this segment is becoming half-baked. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Sweet potatoes are a quote-unquote new world plant that originated in the Americas, and they are about 
well, potato-sized. Yams are old-world plants that come from Africa or Asia, and they can grow to be five feet long. Wow, that is a big yam fry. Uh, That is right. And if you are buying what they call yams at your local Piggly Wiggly, chances are you're really buying a variety of sweet potato that has softer flesh than a standard sweet potato. So don't listen when it says, I yam what I yam. Helen, how did our guest do? (laughs) Uh, I think I'm going to give Michael one point because you did say sweet potato is smaller. Very good. One point for Michael. What is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Michael Pena has one point and Bree Pena has zero points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. The Beef and Dairy Network is a multi-award winning comedy podcast here on Maximum Fun, and I would recommend you listen to it. But don't just take it from me. What do the listeners have to say? I would rather stick a corkscrew inside my ear, twist it around and pull out my ear canal like a cork than listen to your stupid podcast ever again. Please stop contacting me. Hell would freeze over before I recommended this podcast, The Beef and Dairy Network, to anyone. Not in a million years. Actually, scratch that. Um, Make it a billion years. No, how long's infinity? That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, available at MaximumFun.org and at all good and some bad podcast platforms. Disgusting. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Michael Pena with one point and Brie Pena with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Michael, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Tiger Woods' golf coaches and their techniques, movie quotes from early Woody Allen films, and grunge music featured at Lollapalooza 1992. Let's find (laughs) out a little bit more about each of those. First of all, you said you know a lot about Tiger Woods' golf coaches and their techniques. Yeah. So I started golfing uh, right right when I saw um, Tiger Woods. I think it was 1996. That's when I started getting interested in in golf. Because I, I, to me, I was like, whoa, this is this black dude like in golf and he looks like an athlete? Like this is amazing. And so I decided to go to a driving range. I had one club and the, the guy at the driving range says, hey, you see that, uh, that VW bug 100 yards away? He's like, yeah, just try to hit that. It took me seven buckets of trying all these different <laughs> things. There's like 150 <laughs> balls in each bucket. And finally I, wow. I hit it and I and I was determined to hit it with in less buckets. And I so I went every day. And then uh, wow. and then I put it down for a little bit and I, I thought it was cool. But then once I started making a little bit of cash, I was able to golf again. And right now I'm a a, a two handicap, which is not bad. Uh, but it, mm. it, it takes it's it's constant you have to, I have to keep an eye on it constantly and anything can go off because if a, if a club is traveling uh, at 100 miles an hour and more, um, any little degree off, if you're one degree open, one degree closed, meaning the club face, then it's complete chaos. Mm. And did mm. you figure you're going to learn from Tiger Woods' coaches because he did and he was the best? Um, yeah, I kind of read all of their books. I read Butch Harmon's, Hank Haney, Sean Foley. Uh, and Rudy doesn't have a book, not that I, not that I could see, uh, but I did read Ben Hogan's five fundamentals of, uh, uh, of the modern swing and Jack Nicholas's golf my way. And then I have a bunch of other books that I, that I read. Wow. You went deep. Yeah. yeah. You go deep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went Great. Deep. Wow. I, you know what would happen? You know what would happen if I went through five buckets of trying to hit a VW bus? I'd be like, yeah, this isn't for me. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> get past one bucket. 
I would I would have gotten I would have gotten ten balls in and be like, well, that that was fun. All yeah, right, she would, goodbye. She would just call an Uber and just try to hit the Uber and get closer. All right, Michael, you also said you know a lot about movie quotes from early Woody Allen films. Tell us about that. Well, um, I. Uh, I remember going to my agents and I said, guys, I think I, I, I want to do comedy. And it didn't go over very well. It was like 30, <laughs> 30 agents. And you're like, well, you just did a great job in Crash and World Trade Center. I said, yeah, but I think I, I got to study up on it a little bit. But I think there's there's I, I, you know, I didn't know it was going to I was going to be blessed enough to do what I'm doing now. But I just wanted mm. to play a little part here and there and all the, the you know, the the movies. So. I started really watching just like just like what I did with drama, watching all the greats. I started with Woody Allen, and uh, and I was just amazed at number one. He's you know I you know he he doesn't have a uh, he's not a great guy now, um, but yes, but his work you know especially in the past is amazing. How he was able to jump genres. It's almost like he did whatever he wanted with the pen or the typewriter. Mm. And after you know I, I had to watch those movies hundreds of times each um, just to just to even understand or, or, or understand a little bit of the genius of those movies. All right. And then finally, Michael, you said you know a lot about grunge music featured at Lollapalooza 1992. <laughs> Lollapalooza was the first um, concert that I ever went to. You know, we couldn't get any seats. So we were in the in lawn, they call it. It started raining and <gasps> in, in the lawn and it was the best time I ever had. It's it's what a, a hell of a way to, to start. And it was like Jesus and Mary Chains and Soundgarden. And then they closed off with uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then I became an instant fan. And Pearl Jam was there. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. one hell of a lineup. That's great. And uh, did, have you kept up with your love of grunge music since? Yeah, I do. I, I play the drums. So I, I just turn on my headphones and I, you know, 10 is is one album that you could just play all the way through. Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam. Right? Yeah, Pearl Jam. All right. So to summarize, Michael, you said you know a lot about Tiger Woods' golf coaches and their techniques, movie quotes from early Woody Allen films, and grunge music featured at Lollapalooza 1992. Today, we're going to quiz you about Tiger Woods' golf coaches what? and their techniques. What? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. my God. Not the one you were expecting? No, I really was not. Ex- I was expecting either you're going to go grunge music for sure, and then maybe... Yeah. Maybe ask me about all the smaller bands that were, became bigger bands, um, mm-hmm. or Woody Allen, which is uh, it's a nerd farm. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But we 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 like to prove on the show that you can get nerdy about anything, including <laughs> let's hope Tiger Woods's golf coaches and their your, their techniques. Uh, have you have you gotten to meet any of the coaches over the years? Yeah, I met uh, Butch Harmon, Sean Foley. Uh, I've met Tiger Woods. I played on his team this year. Whoa! You buried the lead. Tell us about meeting and playing Whoa. with Tiger Woods. Basically, like these big companies will buy five spots, you know, to to play with people like me. Chris Pratt was there. And all the money money gets donated. You know, you fly yourself in like they don't do anything sure. special. But like, and then you show up and play with some strangers that are most likely part of this huge company. And the money that they paid to even just play in this thing, they donate to to charity. So it's really it's it's really cool. And and so what oh, was it like awesome. meeting and playing with Tiger Woods? I was I, well, he coached us. He was part of the team, and he walked with us the entire time. And <gasps> I wish wow, yeah, it was like six holes. And I had a birdie on the I last did. hole to win it for our team, and mm. wow. I could li- I could see my hands shaking, which was interesting, because mm. um, I didn't feel nervous. Yeah, right. 
but uh, my hands were shaking. <laughs> but your body did. But my body was telling me that I'm nervous. I imitated his celebration, how like how he always did. Yeah. I made him laugh. That was good. That was, and I, it, it felt like I won my own huge golf tournament. Yeah, uh, you posted that on Instagram, right? Yeah, I did. I posted that on Instagram, and I thought I was gonna get a million likes on that thing. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was it was moderate, but it was cool because there's like most most people want to see you your movies, or, or most of my followers mm. want to see movies. Or not. There's not a whole ton of golfers, but that I do have a, a a select few that are my golfers. Wow, awesome. Well, let's see how you do well in our tournament because just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with a three part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Bree, do listen closely because you can steal if Michael gets any wrong. Bree, by the way, how much do you know about Tiger Woods' golf coaches and their techniques? Zero. <laughs> okay, Michael, let's see if you give her a chance to uh, prove that. Here's your first question about Tiger Woods' coaches and their techniques. Although he didn't start golfing until he was 42 years old, one man could easily be cited as Tiger Woods' most influential coach ever. His name is Earl. Who is he to Tiger? His dad. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. His father, Earl Woods, he wrote a book called Training a Tiger, A Father's Guide to Raising a Winner in Both Golf and Life. Fun fact, in 1951, as a baseball player, Tiger's dad, Earl, broke the color barrier in college's Big 8 conference. He was the first black baseball player. All right. Wow. That's a point for Michael. Here is question number two. It had been a couple years since Tiger Woods worked with any coach, but last year he began working with Matt Killen on what specific part of his golf game? Uh, Matt Killen does, he he works on putting. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, Matt Killen also worked with Justin Thomas and helped propel him to a world number one ranking. You did not need the hint in that question, but I know Helen would have liked to have given it to you if you had needed it. Helen, what would that hint have been? I hope he helped him get it past the little windmill. <laughs> It's a good, right? That's, yep. a good, that's, that's, a, a, that's a good hint. That's a good that's hint. It would have helped. It would have helped. I would love to see Tiger on a putt-putt <laughs> golf course, by the way. All right, you're two for two. Here's question number three. It Hank Haney coached Tiger Woods from 2004 to 2010. Two years later, he published a controversial tell-all book about the experience that became a bestseller. What's the title of that book? The Big Miss. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You didn't miss that. It's the big miss. My years coaching with Tiger Woods. I read that book. You read it. Okay. Mm. Well, Tiger read it also. In Tiger Woods' rave review of the book, he called it unprofessional and very disappointing. Yeah, it was basically like a gossip column. I was. You're like, oh, yeah. dude, why would you even say that? Like, oh, <laughs> did he not talk about golf at no, all? No, he, he was, was like, just, like, he was like, trash. you know, in, in it, I was like, I try to skip over some of it, but like, he intertwined some of the gossip with like the the actual playing and the technique because it was the big myth miss refers to tiger's driver you in, in golf what you want to avoid is the big miss right you want to mm. like your tendency mm. your natural tendency under pressure is like oh you hit it way to the right so that's what that refers to mm. but then it also has another mm. uh it means something else and th so that's what he was talking about but he would say like Oh, Tiger would go get himself a popsicle and didn't bring me one. I was like, is that in this book? Like, why? <laughs> I'm serious. He actually wrote that. I was like, okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> petty. And this That's was a topic petty. you didn't want to do. And, and yet you remember about the popsicles. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, here's, here's question number four. You're three for three and still have two hints available. 
Chris Como has worked with Tiger on his game, and even though others, like us, would probably call him a coach, by what title does Tiger refer to Chris Como? Mm. Michael, deep in thought? You said swing coach, right? Is that what the, and he's not referred to? I said others might call him a coach, but Tiger refers to him by a different title, not a coach at all. Consultant? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You pulled the answer out as a consultant. That's right. Fun fact, when he was hired by Tiger Woods, Chris Como was still working on his master's degree in biomechanics. What? Yep. A very young guy and uses all sorts of crazy technology. I've seen his setup. It's uh, it's amazing. Wow. Um, all right. You were four for four. You have a chance to go five for five with this question. Sean Foley, who coached Tiger Woods for five years, converted him to a new type of swing. Now, we don't know exactly how he did it, but it is sometimes done by using special asymmetrically weighted driver heads to reduce draws and hooks. What is this technique called? Um, you do have a hint available if you'd like to use that hint. Yeah, I want a hint. Okay, Helen, how about that hint? It's two words. One is a men's hairstyle with very short hair at the bottom that gradually blends into longer hair toward the top. The other is another word for prejudice. Fade bias. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very wow. nice use of the hint. It came to you. Fade bias. Uh, wow. Fun fact, the opposite of fade bias is draw bias, in which the weights are placed at the other end of the club head. And I hope you know what I'm talking about because I do not. <laughs> but Michael Pena, you are five for five. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You really know your stuff. But now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Oh. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Michael, by the time he was two years old, Tiger Woods was already a golf prodigy and showed off his technique on TV's The Mike Douglas Show, but he did not get an official golf coach until two years later at the ripe old age of four. For up to three points, in what southern Los Angeles County city did Tiger first meet this coach? On what ABC primetime reality show did they appear together when Tiger was five years old? And who was that first official coach? The first coach was Rudy. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have a last name, or is that or is that his last name? No, that was uh, he's got a Latin last name. Um, I'm going to say Rudy. Okay, just Rudy. Okay, um, and then what show? What ABC primetime reality show did they both appear on when Tiger was five? Oh, when he was five, something kids. Something kids. Amazing kids. I don't know. Amazing Kids. Okay, so we've got Rudy, Amazing Kids, and then we're looking for in what southern Los Angeles County city did Tiger first meet this coach? San Diego. In San Diego. Okay, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have today? Joining us today is a golfer, golf course designer, owner and operator, and award-winning golf coach who was Tiger Woods' first golf coach. It's Rudy Duran. Rudy Duran. What? <laughs> Rudy, can you hear us all right? I can hear you. Excellent. Uh, Rudy, it's so wonderful for you to join us. It's funny because earlier on, Michael was talking about all the golf books he had read about Tiger, and he said, oh, Rudy doesn't have a book. But Rudy, you do have a book, don't you? Yes, I do. I'll send him one. <laughs> oh, nice. Yay. What's that book called, Rudy? In every kid, there lurks a tiger. Oh. Indeed. 
Now, as a coach, you've worked with dozens of pro golfers, including folks like Jim Coles, Roger Tambellini. Um, what, what's the first thing that you do? What, what's part of the first lesson if someone is coming to you for a golf coaching, no um, matter what their skill level? No matter what their skill level, I try to instill confidence in them so that mm-hmm. they can do the task. The task is not insurmountable. Everyone has their own power base and their own skill. And golf can be played quite nicely for anybody. You don't mm-hmm. have to hit it like the touring pros to enjoy golf. I mean, it's mm-hmm. nice to hit it far, but, you know, we play our own game. I need you to come and coach me to mm-hmm. clean my car. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not confident. I'm not confident. Well, they can be confident in the skills they have. And then the, another big thing is to get them on a positivity bias. They need to learn to be the expert on what they do well, not on what they do wrong. Mm. And if you can hang around a bunch of golfers, you're going to hear all the bad things that they did. Oh, I missed my birdie putt or I hit this one bad. And they really need to be the expert on what Mm. they do well. And that's what Tiger's true gift is. He's able to hit the shot he's capable of the first time. Wow. Well, let's talk about your work with Tiger. You worked with him from ages four to 10. Tell us about how you met and how good was he as a four-year-old? So the first time I met him, uh, I was uh, in the pro shop, just like most assistant golf pros sitting in there and not doing much. Um, And uh, Tiger and uh, his mom came in. Uh, She said, uh, we would like you to coach uh, Tiger and uh, let him play there. Because in those days, it was very difficult for kids to get on golf courses. uh, Generally, where there was a 10 and over age requirement and some courses was even 12. So and I had a junior program. So I said, well, let's go down to the driving range and let's hit, um, watch Tiger hit a few shots. And so he was four? He was, yeah, late fours. Late oh. fours. <laughs> if there is such a late fours. <laughs> he was four and three quarters? Yeah, four and three quarters, yeah. So he was four. So we walked down the driving range and I picked up, I uh, uh, teed up four balls for him and he went, pow, 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 <gasps> pow. Wow. Hit these four perfect shots with a little bit of draw and I go, whoa. I'd love to help you, and you can play here anytime you want. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. What was he like? Was he shy? Was he confident? Like, what was he like at four? He was quiet. Yeah, he was a little quiet. and uh-huh. uh, But he knew what was going on. So after <gasps> we hit some balls on the range, I said, well, let's go over to the chipping green. And uh, threw a few balls down, and he took out this seven iron out, and he hit hit some balls over towards the hole on a chipping green. And I go, oh, that's really good. And he said, watch this, I can pop it up. He had a little bit of a stutter and he was able to take his seven iron and with the same club, he was able to hit it high and low whenever he wanted to. And he's four years old. Mm. Wow. It was unbelievable. Then we hit a few putts and he hits, he's hit a lot of really good putts and I go, whoa, this is something special. That's really cool. And um, so what is it that you were able to, to coach him to get better at? Well, I think the overall thing was to not think about technique but to think about moving the ball to your target. So most people, when they're going into their golf swing, are thinking about, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And if they're really on focus and they pay attention to their intention, that's going to be good. But beyond that is you don't really know how you did it, but you just make the ball Mm. fly. Mm. I remember asking Tiger, he was about 13 at this time. We were out playing one day at the Navy base where he used to play quite a bit. And he hit this beautiful high faded four iron into the green. And I said, Tiger, what did you do to hit that fade? And he goes, I don't know. 
When I want it to fade, I just feel fade. And when I want it to draw, I just feel draw. <gasps> it's kind of like when you drive your car, you're not thinking about where's my right foot, where's my left foot, mm. where's my right hand. And your life is at risk. But, mm. you know, <laughs> you know, you drive on the 405 freeway. I mean, you got to pay attention. Yeah. But you're not paying yeah. attention to your technique. You're paying attention to driving. Mm. So when you're playing golf, you want to pay attention to how you want the ball to fly. And then you train to make the ball fly that way. Mm. Wow. Now, Michael mentioned that he was partly attracted to Tiger as an athlete because it was uncommon to see someone of mixed race and somebody with black heritage being on the golf course. And obviously, there's a very long problematic history of race in the sport mm -hmm. of golf. But you were telling me that you experienced more of a different bias working with Tiger on the golf course. There's an age bias. Mm -hmm. For the most part, the country clubs and even the daily fee courses, they didn't want a bunch of kids out there. Kids were blamed for every bunker that wasn't raked, every divot that wasn't put back. If there was kids out mm. there, the kids got blamed. But we never really experienced going to a golf course as any race bias that I remember. Interesting. So from the things that you've taught Tiger, do you ever watch him uh, as an adult and, and see something that you recognize from something that you had coached him through? No, I, there would be no specific swing mm -hmm. technique things. Your technique evolves over time in mm -hmm. your practice. And... But the thing that would be that would have mattered and stayed, even if you might not even know it, because Tiger was young when we're taught when I'm talking to him about making the ball move the way you want it to move and what it feels mm. like to make that happen, what it feels like to hit it low, what it feels like to hit the shot high. Mm. And I've coached a lot of kids in all kinds of early ages, five to 12 or 13. And, you know, they're always asking questions how to do this. But Tiger didn't. I mean, he just got a little bit. I go, here's the high part. Here's the low part. Paul's going to go wow. down to the low part. And he figures it out. Well, it's probably because he was so low to the ground already. <laughs> 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 Whatever it was, I was learning from Tiger way more than he was learning from me. That's great. And you wow. and uh, you, you still coach uh, kids. You've been in this for over 40 years. How have young students changed since you started? The one, junior golf has grown huge. It's a big improvement in junior golf. The equipment is good. Um, there's a whole bunch of tournaments to go to, not just a couple in your neighborhood or three or four over the summer. And then equipment. Equipment is way better now than it yeah. was. So when you met him at four, did you did you have any inclination that he would become the incredible, like legendary golfer that he is? No, not really. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I certainly thought this guy's amazing. But, you know, he could come home and decide, you know, I want to play the tuba. And his parents would have supported that. Or, you know, he yeah. would fall on his bike. And he probably would have been the greatest tuba player in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or he could have fallen on his bike. You know, so, you know, yeah. I'm only in the oh. moment there trying to establish, you know, a place where he can play and develop his skills and have a good time. Was never trying mm. to create a touring pro. That's any pro that tells you they can do that. That's probably not true. Mm. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Michael regarding his first official coach. First, we wanted to know, in what southern Los Angeles County city did Tiger first meet this coach? Helen, what did Michael Pena say? Michael said San Diego. San Diego, and is that correct, sir? It is incorrect. No, it turns out San Diego is not in southern Los Angeles County. What is the correct city? Long Beach. Long Beach, the city they call Long Beach, the LBC. Next, we want to know on what ABC primetime reality show did they appear together when Tiger was only five years old? Helen, what did Michael say? Michael said, amazing kids. And Rudy? That's incredible. It is incredible, That's but incredible. what's the answer? 
That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible was the name of the show. Uh, I think they, they did have a spinoff called Those Amazing Animals. I don't know if they had one called Amazing Kids. Uh, by the way, the clip of Tiger and you on That's Incredible is available on YouTube, and I highly encourage people to watch it. You, you had a bit of a different look back then, didn't you, Rudy? I did. I had a bunch of hair back then. <laughs> yes. Rudy just took off his golf hat, and we can see that, uh, yes, it, the time, time gets us all. Yeah. <laughs> 40 years goes by. It does. Uh, all right, no point there and finally wanted to know who was that first official coach Helen what did Michael Pena say Michael said Rudy and Rudy Rudy Duran Rudy Duran is the name do you want to give him a half point a full point no point it's really up to you Mr. Duran I would say that's pretty much a full point that's a full point. You get the point there, Michael Pena. Michael is raising his arms triumphantly. Uh, before we let you go, Rudy, Michael, is there anything you'd like to ask of or say to our expert while we have him here? Um, you know, it's funny because I went into a deep dive into technique, uh, kind of following in, in Tiger's footsteps because he wanted to have like a, like a perfect swing. And I thought that's what led to perfect scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting that he consulted with Chris Como, and basically he just went back to how he swung when he was a kid. And now what he says is that he feels everything in his hands, which is kind of like Mm -hmm. everybody else wants a more complicated explanation as to how he feels the golf swing. And then all like, and especially the tailor-made series, what they, what he says, keeps on saying time and time again, like Rory McIlroy's like, how did you hit that wedge? He's like, Oh, I just feel like I'm turning it a little bit. I'm like turning the toe over, hitting a little draw. And he's like, what, what does that mean? They don't understand that because they're so yep. mechanical. And I yep. now it's interesting to know that it stemmed from you. Yep. And so and that's been uh, a big part of my coaching. And uh, a lot of people do come to me and they want me to give them the magic formula. And I don't know what it is. If I did, I would sell it, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> but I do know that the individual players do have the ability to hit the ball to their ability more mm. often. And in so doing, they will shoot lower. And if you have a lot of natural ability and you can hit the ball far enough, then you're going to shoot some very low scores. But you might don't really need to know the technique. You don't need to write it down, but you do need to feel it. Right. Rudy, I'm going to picture a clean car. (laughs) (laughs) And don't drive it near the driving range because apparently they love to hit cars with golf balls there. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Rudy, before Michael knew that it was you as our uh, surprise expert, he referred to Tiger's first coach as someone who taught him really well. And I I think we've proven (laughs) that today. You've served us very well by being here. We thank you so much. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? You can go to rudydran.com and go to my website. And uh, all my contact information is there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for all of the wonderful work you've done. And thank you for joining us. It's Rudy Duran. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Michael Pena has seven points and Brie Pena has zero points with a round of questions for Brie coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Brie about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Brie and Michael will go head to head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi, are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for you. 
We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Michael Pena with seven points and Bree Pena with zero points. Once again, here's Jay Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Bree, here's a chance for you to put some points on the board. Of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the music and producing work of Prince from 1979 to 1985, renovating old Dutch colonial houses, and French bulldog behavior and the pros and cons of having one. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those first. You said you know a lot about Prince, his recording and music music work from 1979 to 1985. That's right. Uh, My dad worked in the marketing department at Paramount and his boss needed him to work extra hours and had her assistant take me and this other little girl just off for the day so that my dad could put in extra work. And we ended up, you know, getting our hair done. We went to the improv. (gasps) Yeah, it was really exciting. Wait, how old were you? How old were I you? I was 11. Okay. Somehow it came up like, oh, the there's a concert tonight, Purple Rain. The Purple what? Rain tour. And they got me 12th row, me and this other what? little girl who was like the my his boss's goddaughter. And we went to the mall and had silk screened Prince t-shirts on <laughs> that we what? had custom made. I picked we picked our own image. So I, I still have this lavender purple t-shirt with the image and we went and saw Prince and it was, I could cry thinking about it. It was life changing. Oh you got my it going. You already got it going. God. I know. And I knew, I knew the song 1999, Purple Rain had just come out and I, from that moment on, I knew I was going to move to Minneapolis and marry him when I was 18. <laughs> wow. And how did that work out for you? Well, when I was... She got close. I, I know. Yeah. He's getting... Yeah. He's very dark. He does play... <laughs> he does play two instruments very well. He has a lot of soul. Mm-hmm. So I came very close. Uh, I did right. think I was about 5'3 when I was turning 12. And I knew I had to stop growing because Prince is 5'3". Right. And I didn't want it to be awkward. I knew he wore his heels, but I wanted for our wedding day, I didn't want to be... Oh, my God. That's him. very loving and sensitive of you. How could he not appreciate that? I cannot believe that you... I, first of all, everything about this story is hilarious. I love that you got farmed out to some random yeah. assistant. Farmed out. <laughs> and, like, some assistant had to take an 11-year-old, like, a couple of 11-year-old girls out for the day, and you had the best day of your life. Oh, I, And that she was allowed to take you to a Prince concert when you were 11. First of all... I saw Prince when I was 25 and my panties dropped. Yeah. Like, 
my panties dropped the second he hit the stage and they did not go back on the yeah. entire time. Like, the man is so sexy. Mm. Everything about him just exudes sex. And I was just like sweating just thinking about it. And I can't believe you had that experience when you were 11. He has some very racy songs. <laughs> Yes, I, I, wow. I listened to his music and I didn't understand half of the things he was talking about. Yes. So. Of course. <laughs> Brie, you also said you know a lot about renovating old Dutch colonial houses. Tell us about that. Well, I've only done one, so I should <laughs> that's have been more than, a that's more than more most of us. specific. And to be honest, I didn't even know it was a Dutch colonial house until my <laughs> friend who knows everything about everything told me because I couldn't put my finger on it. What type of house is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes. I and is this the house that, where you live today? Yeah, is this the yeah, house you're in right now? And so I know a, a bit about building a house from the ground up and then renovating a very old house and the difference. And the, yeah. Wow. And, uh, what, what was the biggest uh, challenge in renovating your Dutch colonial house? Well, I have learned in Florida that you are dealing with the elements 24 mm. 7 all year, all year round. So um, I will never renovate an old house here again that said (laughs) we have our eyes on this house down the street that is even older than this house so i don't know what she likes a challenge yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right and then finally you said brie that you know a lot about french bulldog behavior and the pros and cons of having one that's right i told my friend i i said i there's this french bulldog puppy and she lists off all the reasons why we, you are never buying that dog. And then I sent a photo <laughs> over and she's like, when are we picking her up? And so, yeah, I know the pros Can you give us cons. a couple? Can you give us maybe one pro and one con as an example? Health issues. They can sort of be inbred and breathing and knee issues. And then mm-hmm. that's the con, clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pro they have the intelligence of a large dog, but they're, they can be small like lap dogs. And what is your French bulldog's name? Pearl. Hi, Pearl. Oh, Pearl. Who's a good, who's a good Pearl? Who's a good Pearl? <laughs> All right. So to summarize, Brie, you said you know a lot about the music and producing work of Prince from 1979 to 1985, renovating old Dutch colonial houses, and French bulldog behavior and the pros and cons of having one. Today, we're going to quiz you about... The music and producing work of Prince from 1979 to 1985. Wow. Yay! Now, why that era specifically did you choose? Well, I think that's the age that you, uh, a lot of people start buying their own music before I was listening Mm. to like my dad's albums, you know, Judy Collins, you know, Mm. Bringing the Clowns. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. didn't really listen to the coolest music, although Simon Garfunkel is to this day great Mm -hmm. but it was the first person that i really became i found out about him on my own rather than my got it and did you have do you have a favorite prince record from that time um i love controversy that's a that's a banger as the kids say well just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points but before that to let you show your love here are five trivia questions about your topic each worth one point if you want it you're allowed a hint for two of any of these five questions now michael do listen closely because if brie answers incorrectly you can steal michael by the way how much do you know about the music and producing work of prince from 1979 to 1985 not much 
You're you're more of a 1986 on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I listened at that time. I was listening because I was a break dancer. Uh, oh, you my, were? Yeah, my mom used to. Uh, even though I, you know, I I found out later. Like even though I grew up in a poor area, I still did. Like instead of going to Juilliard, I still danced, and then I did mm. murals, and then we used to freestyle like rap, like in the corners with all our friends. And so I was, mm-hmm. I still got my own education, my arts education. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't pop and lock to when doves cry? <laughs> no, no, because it didn't have a, have a hard enough beat. Instead, uh, it was like, get higher, baby, and they'll never come back. Yeah. All right. Well, Bree, let's see how you do if you give Michael a chance to uh, sing again. Uh, here's question number one. Prince has won seven Grammy Awards, and his first nominations came in 1983. The album for which he was nominated actually has another year as its title. What album is that? 1999. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, of course. Very good for the point. Uh, Fun fact, when that album, 1999, first came out, its title was 16 Years in the Future. As of this recording, it's 21 Years in the Past. Oh, wow. I feel old. But what even is time? Exactly. What is time? I mean, anymore? what is time right now? All right, here's question <laughs> number two, Bree. In 1985, Prince founded his own record label. He gave it the same name that he gave his home and recording studio that he opened a couple years later, and gave the same name to a song on his 1985 album, Around the World in a Day. What is that name? I'm not, I don't want you to answer, but do you know this answer? You went to it just Yeah, last week. Paisley Park. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. You actually went. You actually went to Paisley Park last week. It was my first trip what? since what? COVID, and I went up to my friend from Minnesota. Moved back to Minnesota from yeah. She was living in LA, but um, yeah, we saw where he was uh, recording. They had two different recording studios. Oh, did they let you inside? Like, is yeah. it open to the public? Yeah, oh, it's open wow. for visitors, yeah. Well, we did, like, the VIP. Uh, there's different mm-hmm. tiers. There's an even lengthier one. We did sort of mm-hmm. the middle one where we had a guide. And, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, you did not need the hint in that question, but I know Helen was very eager <laughs> to give you the hint if you had needed it. Helen, what would that hint have been? The initials are PP. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Hall, ladies and gentlemen. I said PP. Comedy. <laughs> uh, fun fact, as as you mentioned, of course, Paisley Park is now open to visitors. It costs $45 and up to take a tour. I would have thought it cost $19.99. Oh. Here's question number three, your two for two. Oh, so Helen can say PP, but I can't make a $19.99 pun. All right, I see where we are. Here's question number three, Bree. The first print song to reach Billboard's Hot 100 was 1978's Soft and Wet. The next one to make the charts hit number 11 in 1979. The lyrics of this song begin, I ain't got no money. I ain't like those other guys you hang around. What is the name of that hit song? It's kind of funny. What song is that? Doom, doom, doom. I don't want to pressure you, baby. Because all I ever wanted to do, mm-hmm. I want to be your lover. Sorry, I had to like go through all the lyrics. Okay, yes, Helen. I want to be your lover. That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, I want to be your lover is from his self-titled album, Prince, which hit number 22 on the charts. By the way, Soft and Wet, which we mentioned in the question, was the only track on Prince's first album that he didn't entirely write, produce, arrange, and play all the instruments himself. Wow. All right, here's question number four. You're doing very well, Brie. 
Between 1979 and 1985, Prince wrote and produced several songs for other artists, such as Vanity Six, Sheila E., Sheena Easton, and The Time. He often did so under various pseudonyms, but which of these was not a name used by Prince? Was it Joey Coco, Jamie Starr, Nelson Rogers, The Star Company, or Alexander Nevermind? Oh my goodness. I need a hint for this one. Uh, okay, Helen, how about that first hint? He did use Jamie Starr as a pseudonym. Okay. So your remaining ones are Joey Coco, Nelson Rogers, The Star Company, or Alexander Nevermind. Maybe this is a trick question, and it's Nelson Rogers because that's his name, Prince Rogers Nelson. I don't know. I'm only going to guess that. Nelson Rogers. Nelson Rogers. Helen? That is correct. That oh. is correct. You discovered oh. our little trick. Very good. Prince's birth name, as you mentioned, is Rogers Nelson. He never used a name mm-hmm. like it, though, as one of his pseudonyms. He did use the others. Very good. You are four for four, Bree. You have a chance to go five for five, just like Michael. Let's see how you do on this fifth question. Sometimes Prince didn't receive credit, even under a pseudonym, for his work on someone else's song, such as when he wrote and recorded the synthesizer part on what monster 1983 hit for Stevie Nicks. Oh, I know this song, and I just forgot it. Um, That's all right. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use that second hint. Yes. Helen, how about that second hint? It's not sit forward. Oh, yeah. Stand back. Helen? That is correct. Bree Pena is five for five. Wow. Couple of the year. Both of you went five for five. Congratulations. Uh, Fun fact, Stevie Nicks wrote that song, Stand Back, while she was humming along to Little Red Corvette. She invited Prince to the studio to hear it, and she was shocked when he provided the keyboard sounds and didn't want credit on the album. Wow. Wow. Very, very good job, Bree. Now, though, here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Bree, Prince's band The Revolution featured a multitude of talented people who often got shout-outs in his songs. On the 1984 Purple Rain soundtrack album, two female band members begin one of the songs with a spoken word interlude where they say each other's names. They are also credited as co-songwriters and producers on the song. For up to three points, what are the names of these two female band members? What is the name of the song on the Purple Rain soundtrack? And name one of the instruments that either of them play on the song. Okay, Wendy and Lisa... Okay. Computer Blue. Lisa plays keyboard. Wendy plays guitar. (laughs) All right. Very confidently said. Uh, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have? Joining us today is an Emmy and Grammy winning musician and composer who is part of Prince's band, The Revolution, and the duo Wendy and Lisa. It's Lisa Coleman. Lisa Coleman. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Lisa. Hello there. Hi. <laughs> so nice to see you and have oh, you join us. What oh a treat. Uh, it's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Bree, are you okay? <laughs> no. Oh. It's okay to get emotional. We really we, we, we welcome that here. Wow. Oh, Bree. She's 11 years old all over again. Oh, my 
god! I remember seeing you in in the twelfth row. You were that little girl with that T-shirt on. <laughs> you know how to deliver the goods, Lisa. Um, Lisa, Lisa, you look great. Oh, well, yes, well, thank you. Prince had a few you tricks that he didn't tell anybody. Yeah, you look so young. Like I can't believe, like for for like you to be performing in front of an eleven year old, you do not look that age. You look fantastic. Thank you very much. I, I mean, I was eleven at, at the time myself. So. Ah, that was the key. That was the key. That, that's why that's why Brie related so much. I think to your work. That's what it is. Um, well, let's talk about your work with Prince in a little bit. But first, just to uh, clarify, you won three Grammys with Prince. You uh, you actually shared an Oscar for your work on Purple Rain with Prince, and yet you won an Emmy without Prince because you have continued to work with Wendy from Wendy and Lisa. And uh, you tell us about what you won the Emmy for. Um, yeah, um, Wendy and I still do composing for television and films. And we won an Emmy for our main title to Nurse Jackie. Congratulations. <gasps> wow. Yeah, very cool. Thank you. And very uh, you've cool. been nominated for other Emmys for your, uh, for your scoring and uh, theme song work. Uh, how did you get into that line of work? And uh, how did you decide to continue to work with Wendy uh, for that? Oh, well, Wendy and I have known each other since we were little kids. So we've been together for years and years. So, um, And just getting into the scoring thing, you know, ever since... We were kids. It was something that we both wanted to do. And being, you know, almost close to it with Purple Rain and Under the Cherry mm-hmm. Moon, you know, we were kind of exposed to that side. And we did little little pieces of music for those films. But it really piqued our interest in, in continuing that work. So after the band broke up or we got fired... Um, <laughs> we 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 just went on, you know. We just continued on, and our first our first uh, film was Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, wow. and, oh. and um, that was great fun, and you know, I just love doing that. And maybe I'll get to score something for you, Michael. That would be oh. great. I, I I I'm writing this down now because I, I remember. Didn't Coolio do a song for you guys in yeah. that movie? Yeah, that's right. Gangsters, Gangsters Paradise. Paradise. Yeah, I think it's from there. That's right. Wow. Well, uh, one of the cool things that you've done on your own, though, is you've got a solo album of your piano compositions. Tell us about that. I was curious to learn that they all started as improvs. Yeah, I put out an album of piano stuff. It's called Collage, and you can find it on Bandcamp. And it was inspired by Prince, wasn't it? Well, it was soon after he died, and um, I, I had to, you know, we got this the terrible news that he died mm. and then the band came together the revolution we all just called mm. each other immediately when we found out and mm. we had to come together and and so we played some gigs together and it helped us grieve but after that it I, it kind of made me question who i was because there mm. there had been 30 years between you know tour you know between computer blue and you know, his death, it, it was, um, so there was a lot for me to figure out. So mm. I just kind of went back to my roots and played the piano and, and just decided what was coming out of me, you know, that, that I, I wanted to share that with people. So, um, that's mm. what I did. Well, let's talk about some of the happier times with Prince. Uh, first of all, you had to audition, of course, to be in the band. What What is the audition like to be in Prince and the Revolution or to work with Prince? I guess it wasn't the Revolution yet, was it? No, it wasn't. It was just Prince. And um, I was auditioning to be the the girl in the band. 
And um, actually, I sent a tape first uh, of some a couple of songs that I sang, and um, and then he sent me out uh, to Minneapolis because I I was from Los Angeles, and um, oh yeah, so I'm actually an import to Minneapolis, which is really funny because I I grew up in the music business. My father was a session musician. You know, and I was from L.A. I lived under the Hollywood sign in Beachwood Canyon, and, and you know, but yet I had to move to Minneapolis to make to make it in the to music. Make it in music <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's show business for you, right there. Exactly. Huh? I lived on Beachwood yeah. too. No way! In mm-hmm. 1979 and 78, 79, and then we moved in 80. Yeah. Wow. wow. We were neighbors. So he flew out to Minneapolis, and then tell us about what that audition was like. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, the funny thing is that when I got to Minneapolis, uh, he took me to his house and we had such a bad car ride from the airport to his house. He kind of was feeling like I wasn't going to fit in. And he pointed me downstairs when we got to his house. He pointed downstairs and said, the piano's down there. And, And so I went downstairs and he went to the phone to call his manager and he <gasps> called his manager and he was saying, oh, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out. You know, she's <gasps> and I I was downstairs playing. Luckily, he heard me playing <laughs> and he said, wait, never mind. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> wow. Wait, what was bad about the car ride? It was just awkward. It was just, like you guys just didn't click. Exactly. Like he was really shy and quiet and I was really shy and quiet. So we oh. were just like not knowing what to say. And it was all uncomfortable. <laughs> oh. And I lit up a cigarette and he was like, so totally hated smoking. And, you oh. know, I mean, it was just the worst. But. So he heard me play, and he came downstairs, and he picked up a guitar. We started playing together, and and we fell in oh, love. Wow. And yeah, so yeah. it was. <laughs> T- turns out you were more than just the girl. Yeah, right. I could actually play. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, tell us about how collaborative was he with writing and producing, because he did give the Revolution producing and co-writing credit on on a lot of the work that you did. Well, because we were just working nonstop, twenty four hours a day, you know, and. Um, and we would write songs, you know, just during a rehearsal. We would rehearse. First of all, it wasn't even just rehearsal. It was it was like working out, you know. It was like mm. being at the gym, you know, for, mm. for eight or ten hours. And wow. we would just groove, you know, come up with grooves. And he, he would call out changes like, go to E, now go to the G, you know. And, mm-hmm. and we'd all kind of find our places and... And, you know, because we knew how to do that, he gave us credit and, you mm. know, and a lot of times he'd call Wendy wow. and I in to do extra overdubs and do background vocals and things like that. So. And how cool was it that you got to be in this band with your childhood friend? Oh, it was a dream come true. Absolutely. Because I was... A- Wait, how did that How did that happen if you were getting called to be the girl and then how did she become the other girl? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was the girl for a few years and then um, we were in New York on the 1999 tour, and Wendy and her sister and my brother all flew out to New York to just hang out with me because we were there for like 10 days. I had a guitar in my hotel room, and Wendy started playing. It was an acoustic guitar, and Prince was walking down the hall and heard the acoustic guitar come in from my hotel room, and he knocked on the door like, who's that playing? 
and that's when he met Wendy, and I said, come on in, and he heard Wendy play, and she played just like Joni Mitchell meets Stevie Wonder, and he was just like, oh, my God, I love this girl. And, <gasps> and that was right around the time Des, who was the guitar player at the time, was kind of not feeling too happy, and he didn't come to soundcheck one day, so he invite, so Prince invited Wendy to come and play guitar, and, and she fit right in, and it was... Okay, everything about your life is bonkers. Yes. <laughs> um, it's like it's like a rock and roll fairy tale. I can't <laughs> believe it. And I but I what I love about that is like, you know, there is an inherent sexism in the music industry of like, mm-hmm. oh, we have to have a cute girl in the band, mm-hmm. but that you both like impressed Prince with your talent. And it was your talent that actually got you, like, really embedded in the band and producing credits and all that. Thank you for saying so, because you're right. I I think at first he was kind of just get a girl in the band because it was kind of a thing to do. And then, yeah, we just blew him away with our talent. And he was like, yeah, I need this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Prince was known as being kind of a hard hard taskmaster. Did he allow, though, for improvisation on solos and and for you to express yourself in that way? Or did he want things done in a certain way? Well, he definitely wanted things done in a certain way. But it's like we were so well rehearsed that we could go off and improvise. And then he would give us a hand signal or something that would bring us back to... Mm. you know, a certain thing to play. Sort of like jazz, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Is it true that he would fine people in the band for making mistakes (laughs) during shows? Yes. What? (laughs) What? Yes, it's true. Like, if you hit a... What? Because he would call out horn punches, and he'd try to fool us. You know, he'd put up five fingers, and you'd have to hit five horn punches, or... Or he'd drop a handkerchief, and when the handkerchief hit the ground, then we'd all have to, like, hit. But if somebody hit it the the wrong time or something, it was like, you owe me $500. What? (laughs) So he was actually trying to catch you out. Yes. Yes. Do you think you had to pay any of the fines? How much do you think you lost in that time? No, I broke even, man. I never never made a mistake. (laughs) What happened when he messed up? Oh, yeah. Did he mess up? Oh, no. He didn't. If he messed up, he, he said, if I mess up, I'm right anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is called leadership. That's it. You just follow him whatever oh. he did. Oh, my gosh. I could hear you talk about this stuff all day, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. Okay. You heard the question that we asked of Bree regarding his band, The Revolution. First, we wanted to know, what are the names of the two band members who spoke each other's names in a song on the Purple Rain soundtrack? Helen, what did Bree say? Bree said Wendy and Lisa. And Ms. Coleman? That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. It was Wendy and Lisa. Very good. Uh, Next, we wanted to know, on what song did they speak each other's names from that Purple Rain soundtrack album? Helen, what did Bree say? Bree said Computer Blue. And Lisa? Is the water warm enough? That is (laughs) correct. Yes, Lisa. That is correct. (laughs) That's very weird to be saying that to Lisa. (laughs) That is correct for the point. Thank you for providing that wonderful moment. And finally, we wanted to know, name one of the instruments that either of them play on the song. I believe Bree gave us two answers. Helen, what were they? She said keyboard and guitar. And Lisa? That is correct. That is correct. Bree, you have a perfect score in your quiz. You've got five for five plus the cluster fact. Congratulations. Uh, Bree, now that you've had a chance to collect yourself, is there anything you'd like to say or ask of our expert while we have her here? Were you on the um, Around the World in a Day album? Oh, yes, absolutely. My brother wrote the song. 
And <gasps> so which, what, when did you guys part ways? I can't actually remember. Uh, it was after Parade. So it was okay. right, right before Sign of the Times. So there's actually some mm. work that I did still on Sign of the Times, but that's mm. a whole story. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, we definitely want to hear that story another time. <laughs> Wait, we have to talk about the panty dropping. Um, <laughs> because I, I swear to God, like I saw Prince twice. And to be honest, to be perfectly honest, before I saw him live, I was like, yeah, I was like a casual Prince fan in the way that everybody's a casual Prince fan. And then I saw him and I was like, I need to get that man naked. Yeah. Like what? It was that li- <laughs> like, I'm sure you got that. It was probably every night that you were on tour, there was some version of, like, women just freaking out and throwing panties. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) All I can say is I got to look at the back of him for several years, and I didn't want to quit. (laughs) (laughs) And and you say that as as an openly gay woman, too. That is is correct. (laughs) There's no line there. I think that says it all. Lisa, it was an absolute pleasure to have you join us. If people want to find out more about you and your music, where can they go? TheLisaColeman.com. TheLisaColeman. Yes. TheLisaColeman.com. Well, you are the Lisa Coleman, and it was wonderful that you joined us. Thank you so much. It's Thank Lisa you. Coleman, everybody. Thank you so Yay, much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. I was, oh, that was it's great. It's a dream to meet you. <laughs> it's great to meet yeah. you. Guys. How cool. Helen, what is our score as we go into the final round? We've got oh, quite a change here. It is a tight game, Jay Keith. At the end of that round, Michael Pena has seven points and Brie Pena has eight points. What oh, a comeback no. for Brie. From zero to the lead. Very nice round. All right, but now it is time for our final round that we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Michael and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Michael, there is a type of cheese called cheddar. True. Correct. Brie, there's a type of cheese called brie. True. Correct. Michael, brie cheese originated in Spain. False. Correct. Brie, brie cheese originated in France. True. Correct. Michael, brie Schaefer Pena originated in France. False. Correct. Yes, where are you from, brie? Los Angeles. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Brie, French brie is traditionally made with sheep milk. False. Correct. That's right. It can be, but traditionally it is cow milk. Michael, it is illegal to import authentic French brie into the United States. Ooh. True. Correct. That's right. It's made with raw, unpasteurized milk. There is a version called stabilized brie that gets imported, but that is not authentic French brie. Brie, the rind around brie cheese is edible. True. Correct. Michael, the brie rind is formed from mold. True. Correct. Brie, the brie rind mold is a form of penicillin. True. Correct. Michael, brie rind mold is a grunge band that was at Lollapalooza in 1992. Oh my gosh, why did I hear that? (laughs) False. Correct. And finally, Brie, if you had married actor Judge Reinhold, your name could have rhymed with brie rind mold. (laughs) 
true. <laughs> Correct. We're not going to count those last two. Those were just for fun. But let's thank so much Michael Pena and Bree Pena as Helen tabulates the final <laughs> score. I believe you both had a perfect score in that true or false you round, did. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, So, you Helen, did. what does that mean? Our final score is, are you ready to declare a winner? I sure am. At the end of the game, Michael Pena has 12 points and Bree Pena has 13 points. Wow. What, what an amazing game. It's a miracle. Very high scoring. Congratulations, Brie Pena. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Brie Pena, what will you do with your championship? I don't know. We'll have to play some some Candyland and let him win. <laughs> he really likes and to And that's win. how you stayed together for all of these yes. years. Yes. We play a lot of Sorry, Connect Four, uh. Skippo, Rummy Cube. Ooh, I love Skippo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that just leaves us the opportunity for all of our guests to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Michael Pena, where can people find you? What do you have going on? Um, well, I just finished a short, and then next year I have um, Tom and Jerry uh, in March. Uh, <gasps> what? But we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to yeah. happen. Wait, yet, is it going to be live action, Tom and Jerry? Live action. Yeah, me what? and Chloe Moretz. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be so fun. Well, however people can see that, we're uh, looking forward to doing so. And uh, we thank you so much for being here. What a treat and an honor to have Mr. Michael Pena. Thank you, sir. Thank you much. Thank you much. Oh, thank you. Brie Pena, what about you? What do you want to promote? I want to promote Pen15 because I love that show. Such a good show. (laughs) And I've seen it twice. I saw the whole season twice. I love it so much. (laughs) <laughs> and now you're not involved in this show. You just want people to see I'm it. I'm not involved. I just love them so much. Wow. That is what we call a benevolent, selfless plug. Something that you rarely <laughs> see in show business. Yes. <laughs> it is a wonderful show, and it was wonderful having you as well. Thank you so much for jumping in and playing with us oh, today. And thank you. That was uh, made me cry seeing Lisa. Yeah. But in a good way. Hand. In a good way, we hope. She's just so amazing. By the way, when you guys asked that question about who, who what, I'm like, it was basically like asking... What's your son's name? That's how, that's how I, I was so sure she was going to get it. That's funny. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is the lovely and talented Helen Hong. What do you have going on, my friend? I just finished shooting a short with Michael Pena. which is going to come out next year, probably. I don't know. Actually, I don't know when it's going to come out. Um, But in the meantime, yeah, yeah. So dance. In the meantime, you can see me on Netflix on The Babysitter 2 Killer Queens. Uh, and you can follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong. Don't follow at Helen Hong because she ain't funny. Indeed. Uh, she is the funny, the talented, the Helen, the Hong, Ms. Helen Hong. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Michael Pena, Bree Pena, Rudy Duran, Lisa Coleman. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Someday, I hope. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Mateo5001 did. He, she, or they said, you make me laugh and, despite my better interests, learn. Thanks, Mateo5001. Sorry about all that learning. Helen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were completely 
compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer and my new neighbor is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor and overall hero of the day is Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Renata Kanklers, Robin Randall, Spencer Marks, Henry Pilger, Dan Higgins at GolfPass.com, John Perellis, Charles R. Cross, Susan Rogers, Andrew Martin Darer, Jeff Benedict and his new book, The Dynasty, Brown Mark and his new book, My Life in the Purple Kingdom, Sarah Rodenbaugh, Brandon J. Carr, Clint Tauscher, Mike Avellanos, Adam Nedef, Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Vallada. I've been Helen Hall! Let's go listen to Prince! Yes! And take off our panties! <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported